0: How's everybody doing today? These are exciting days around Lakeview Church, if you didn't know that. Uh, We got a lot of things going on. Yesterday, we had a team of people down at the corner of Nebraska and 18. We did a gas buy-down. And uh, we had some money that had been given to help us give a discount on gas to anybody that came to that gas station during the time that we were there. And as the team was meeting yesterday morning, we actually had... uh, some more donations that came in of about an additional thousand dollars so we were able to take our discount from 50 cents per gallon to a dollar off per gallon and uh, took it down to 284 which seems just like unheard of in these days right And uh, we served about 250 cars yesterday that came through. The team was directing traffic, and Wilma Vote was spinning her sign out there on the street corner, just trying to, you know, like the guy by Little Caesars, you know how he spent, Wilma was doing that. We had to tell her to calm down because people couldn't read the sign. Um, and so uh, she, she got it figured out eventually. Um, We had a great time yesterday, and we're able to have conversations, just love on our community, make connections. So thank you to all of you who helped make that possible yesterday. And in the middle of all of that, Lawrence Fryman decided to have his birthday today on Palm Sunday, 88 years old today. He thought we were waving the palm branches for his birthday, but I had to tell him, no, that's for something else. But happy birthday, Lawrence. We're so glad uh, that you're here with us today. So many wonderful things going on. Today is Palm Sunday. That's why we were waving the palm branches, and kids were so excited. They were walking right out of their shoes up front here, and uh, we were having all kinds of fun this morning. This is the day that marks the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, and it begins the week leading up to his death and his resurrection. And so this is a really important week in the life of the church. If we were thinking about what this week means, this week really is kind of our Super Bowl, right? I mean, this is everything that we do in the church year revolves around what happens in this week. And so we have designed three events this week to really help us fully enter into the story, And so this Friday night, we want to invite you to be here in the sanctuary at 6 p.m. We're going to walk through a reflection on what Good Friday and what the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, means for each and every one of us. And we'll take communion together, and we'll read the scriptures together, and we'll think about Jesus Christ as the suffering servant. So we want you to be here this Friday night. And then on Saturday afternoon from 1 to 4, we're going to have the great Escape not escape eggscape you got to get those Gs in there we've created our uh, April raver and our kids ministry team have created an escape room experience for families that tells the Easter story and so we want to invite you to bring your families and we want to invite you to encourage people that you know out in the community to come and be a part of that event it's going to be a great time and then next Sunday morning we decided we're going to have worship service on Easter Sunday So we were thinking about it, we thought we should do it, 10.30 a.m. next Sunday, we are going to have church, just like we do every Sunday, and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. The bell choir is going to be playing, the choir is going to be helping to lead us in worship, and I'm going to be preaching a message on the greatest paradox in the Christian faith, how death leads to life. And so that's coming this week, and I want to just encourage you to be a part of next Sunday. We're going to to celebrate Easter, and we're going to conclude the service with baptisms. We've got people among us who are going to publicly profess their faith, and we're going to walk into the waters of baptism with them, and we're going to celebrate that they're dying to themselves, and they're being raised to life in Christ. And some of you are here, and maybe you're followers of Jesus, but you've not yet publicly professed your faith in baptism. I wanna just encourage you to do that. And you say, well, it's coming fast, it's next Sunday, I know, but you can just see me or Pastor Jared right after the service. We would love to get you signed up. We'll walk with you through this week to get you prepared to do that. And we would love for you to just publicly profess your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism if you haven't done that already. And that's coming next Sunday at the end of the service. Now, in the middle of all that's going on, I want to just remind you that this week is a great time to invite your friends to church. We've got some more invite cards that are back there. We handed out about 250 of these yesterday. Many of you have been telling me about how you've been inviting your friends to church uh, leading up to this time. I know a couple people who are being baptized have been inviting friends and family. This is a great time to do that, and I want to just encourage you to do it. You know that most people who tell their story of how they came to faith usually point to a friend, a family member, a neighbor, or a coworker who played an instrumental role in leading them to the moment of faith. And if you think about your own faith story, there's usually at least one person that you can say, that person helped me come to faith. And you can play that role for people in your life. That's what God asked each of us to do. And I want to just encourage you, if you're not already doing just ask God, God, who do you want me to invite to church? And I want to encourage you to invite them in these next few days. Pastor Jessica mentioned we got this group in Dearborn, and that's part of what is exciting here at Lakeview, that we're sending people out. In COVID, it's been a long time since we could actually send teams out, and we're so excited that we get to do this. And she also mentioned that in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be going to Zambia, and just so excited about how this opportunity has opened up. I've been invited uh, by the bishop there over the church, uh, the Pilgrim Wesleyan Church in Zambia, to come and be one of two keynote speakers at their National Leadership and Missions Conference. And uh, I'll be there, um, I'll be there representing our church, I'll be there uh, sharing the messages in the evening sessions, and then during the daytime presenting some training workshops for the leaders that will come from literally hundreds of churches across the nation of Zambia, and then uh, perhaps the greatest honor, which I am so looking forward to, is on Sunday afternoon, May the 1st, I'll get to preach in their ordination service. And I just feel like what an open door that God has given our church. We were in a board meeting just a couple of months ago saying, we've got this team going to Dearborn and that's great, but wouldn't it be great if we could have some opportunity to go internationally as a church and and make some kind of contribution? And literally just about a week after that, uh, we got the phone call with this invitation and the expenses are being paid for by another organization and uh, the door's just been wide open and we're so excited about that. Here at Lakeview Church, we believe that God has called us not just to care about Marion and Grant County, though that is the beginning part of the mission that God's called us to, but we believe that God's called us to care about the world because God cares about the world, and we are God's people, and so we care about the world as well. And so we, we do this thing every time about this season of the year where our fiscal year, which ends at the end of April, is coming to a close, and May 1st marks the beginning of a new fiscal year, and we ask everybody in our church to just spend a little bit of time asking God, God, how can I participate in the global mission of God through Lakeview Church? And I'm just inviting you to do that again today. There are some of you maybe who are visiting for the first time, and if that's you, uh, I don't want you to leave, but, but you can just kind of tune out for a minute, right? Check your phone, whatever, because um, I'm really talking to the people who this is their church home, because for us as a church, God's invited us to participate in what he's doing in the world. We want God to reach Marion and Grant County, but we also want to be a part of what God is doing domestically and internationally so that we are involved in what God's doing to redeem humanity and restore the world. And so we do this thing every year where we ask people to make commitments to what we call our global engagement fund. And we ask people to think about what you could give beyond your normal tithes and offerings to say what could I give as a planned offering with God's help to the Global Engagement Fund at Lakeview Church. And all of those dollars, they're not used to fund the work of the church here locally. They're all used, all of those dollars, to fund what God has asked us to do outside of this place, right, domestically and internationally, to send missionaries and mission teams to support missions work that's happening on the field. And we do this because we believe that the scripture teaches us that God has good news for the entire world. Right, And and we believe that it's our job as God's people to be a part of that. In Romans chapter 10, in verses nine and 10, we're told that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. This is the good news. And we believe that this good news isn't just for a few people here in Marion, Indiana. It's for everyone. Everyone, everywhere, right? And in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, just a couple of verses later, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, there's good news, and the good news is for everybody on this planet. And so the question then becomes, how can we make sure that everyone Everybody in Marion, everybody in Grant County, everyone throughout the United States and literally every nation on this planet, how can we make sure everyone has repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Romans chapter 10 tells us, verses 14 and 15. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. You see, once you understand that God wants everyone to know the good news, the next question becomes, what do we need to do to make it possible for everyone to know? That's the question, right? And and our answer here at Lakeview is, Wherever you go in your daily life, you should be a missionary there. If you know Jesus, you are his missionary. You've been sent by him to this community. God put you here to faithfully share the good news with others. But beyond that, how do we get the good news to go around the globe? We do that by sending missionaries and by supporting missions and missions work all over the world. And we do that at Lakeview Church through our Global Engagement Fund. I just want to challenge us as a church today to give more in this next year, beginning on May 1st, to give more in those 12 months than we have given in a long, long time. I want to ask you to ask God, God, what do you want me to give? And then I want you to have the faith that God's going to help you give whatever he tells you to give. And I wanna see our giving to to the global work of God to grow in this year. You guys have done such a great job this last year. And I wanna just encourage you, keep up the good work and, and let's up the good work. Don't just keep up the good work, let's up it this next year. Say, how do we do this? Well, there's these commitment cards. You can find them back on those tables by the giving boxes. You can also go to our website. There's going to be a QR code up here on the screen. And you can just go to our website and fill out the commitment card digitally, or you can do it the old fashioned way with paper and pen. And uh, we just want to encourage you to ask God over the next couple of weeks, God, what do you want me to give? And uh, just to give you a little bit of context, if everybody gave up a $5 cup of Coffee, which I think is now like six bucks at Starbucks. Um, So it would be even more this year. We're upping the good work, right? Um, If you just give up one cup of coffee every week and you gave that money to the Global Engagement Fund, in a year you'd give $260. You say, well, that doesn't sound like a lot, except if everybody in our church did that, we would give over $65,000. You see, when everybody does just their little part, we can do a lot together. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. So what I want to encourage you to do is just ask God, God, what do you want me to give? And then give that. And if you do that, we will be participating in God's mission to redeem humanity and restore the world. So will you do that for me this week? I'm going to take that as a yes. This morning, I want to talk to you uh, about the passage that Dave read for us just a few moments ago, this story in Matthew chapter 21. It's a paradoxical story about the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And I want to talk to you from this story about how in the kingdom of God, weakness leads to power. How weakness leads to power. But before we do that, I want to pray for us. So let's pray together. God, we come before you this morning and we have just grateful hearts. Even as Pastor Jessica's already prayed this morning and we've been singing together, you are good. You are a good, good God. And we give you thanks and praise, Lord. You are not only good, but you are doing your good work in us and through us. You're shaping us as we commit ourselves as a church to follow Jesus more closely than we ever have before. And you're prompting us to live generously as we give our times at things like the gas buy-down or we, we give to 30 pieces of silver or we think about how we can give to the Global Engagement Fund. You are challenging us and calling us to live generously. And you're giving us opportunities to make a difference as you call us to invite our friends to church, as you send us out to places like Dearborn and Zambia. You are using us, God, in in our everyday lives and in our global engagement as a church to make a difference for your name. And God, we just acknowledge again today that you are good and you are working among us. And so now, Father, we just simply ask you in these next few moments that we spend together looking at this story, would you speak to us from your word? Would you teach us in these moments to embrace our weakness so that your power might be fully realized and that you might get all of the glory and the honor for what is accomplished? We give you these moments now and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all who agreed said, Amen. So, the story that was read earlier is from Matthew chapter 21, and it really is a paradoxical story. I, I can't tell you how many times I've read this story um, in my lifetime. I grew up in church, I went to a Christian school, K through 12, and, and we read this story a lot. I was trying to figure it up and it's at least hundreds of times in my life, maybe a thousand times or more that I've read this story. And every time I read this story, I have kind of thought of it as kind of one of the high points in Jesus' earthly ministry. It's, it's in my mind, the way that I've read it, this story of how the people start to recognize who Jesus really is and what Jesus has really come to accomplish, except This last few weeks, as I've been reading this story, I've been reading it maybe a little bit differently this year. Maybe it's because we're in this series on kind of the study of the paradoxes of the faith. But as I read this story again in preparation for our time together this morning, what started to occur to me is that this is a story that is full of paradox. It's a story where where Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the people are recognizing something about him, but their expectations and their perspectives and their understandings of who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do are substantially different than what Jesus has actually come to do in Jerusalem. In some ways, it's paradoxical because the people have expectations of Jesus and Jesus is gonna fall way short of those expectations. He's not going to do what they want him to do. And in other ways, it's paradoxical because the expectations of the people are going to fall way short of what Jesus has actually come to do. And so what I want to do this morning, just in a few minutes, is just kind of unpack this story and some of the paradoxes that are found there, because I think it will help us learn a little bit more about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do in this world and in our lives. And then at the end of this message, I want to draw one single application that I hope will be helpful for us as we seek to live for Jesus in this day and in this time. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the predominant image of this story is that of a victorious king returning to the capital city of his kingdom so that people will celebrate the victory that has been won. The the image is the one you kind of see sometimes in movies where the king comes riding in on the white stallion. Commanders and generals follow behind the king, and there are spoils of war that are being brought back home. And the people come out for a parade to celebrate the fact that the enemy has been defeated and victory has been won. This is the image of the story that we read in Matthew 21. Except Jesus doesn't come riding on a white stallion. He comes riding in on a donkey. It's a little underwhelming. I mean, that really is the reality of this story. And in fact, it's even pointed out from a prophecy, right? Matthew chapter 21 and verse 5 points back and says, look at your king. He's coming riding in to Jerusalem humbly on the back of a donkey, on a donkey's colt. This is not a white stallion with commanders and generals and the spoils of war coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the victory that's been won. No, this is Jesus, supposedly the king of kings, the victorious one, and yet he's riding on a donkey, a beast of burden. And it's not even his. He doesn't even own it. He had to borrow it from someone else. This is not the kind of victorious king that you would expect. This is one of the paradoxes of the story. Jesus comes in like a victorious king, except he looks anything like doesn't look anything like a victorious king. He's he's riding on a donkey. Because he comes in not as a victorious king. He comes in as a humble servant. This is who Jesus is. And this reveals something about the character of Jesus. Because you see, in our world, in our understanding of power and might and victory and strength, we think leaders ought to elevate themselves. That they ought to be celebrated and, and have celebrity status. And in our world, honestly, when we think about leadership and we think about those who we put out in kind of the front of the pack, those are the people who kind of live their lives for self-promotion and their life is about status and it's about seeking advancement and, and going up another rung on the ladder. And yet when we see Jesus, the Son of God, Savior of the world, King of kings and Lord of lords. He doesn't come in in a way that says, look at me. He doesn't come in and say, worship me, celebrate me, elevate me, advance me. Jesus doesn't say any of that. Jesus comes in like a humble servant. And maybe it's because he's trying to teach us what real leadership looks like. I don't think our world needs any more celebrities. We don't need any more people looking to advance their own status or elevate their own name or or put themselves in the limelight. We don't need any more of that. We need people who will come into this world to serve because that's what Jesus did. Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. He comes in as a humble servant. And even though it's an odd picture and doesn't match what the people really expect, there, there's kind of something weird about it. I mean, they, they, they recognize it's not the way kings normally come back from victory, but, but he still feels like a king that we ought to celebrate. And so people are taking off their coats and they're laying them on the ground and they've got palm branches and they're grabbing them and they're laying them down and they're celebrating and they're singing and, and it's a parade. They're celebrating this king. And here's why they're celebrating, because there's something inside of the people that believes Jesus is the Messiah, And again, every time I've read this story through my whole life, I have thought to myself, look at this. This is a picture of people really starting to recognize who Jesus really is. And yet they really didn't know who Jesus was because they had an idea in their mind of what Messiah meant. And so when they start celebrating Jesus in this moment, in this story, what they're doing is they are celebrating Jesus not for who he really is but for the image they have of him in their mind. They they don't really know who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. They just have a perspective of what they want Jesus to do and so they are celebrating in faith that Jesus is gonna do what they think the Messiah ought to do. And you say, what were they thinking? Well, they were thinking of the Messiah as someone who would come, listen to it, because this is really relevant for our day. They were looking for a Messiah who would bring political power and military might to put Rome in its place. That's what they're thinking the Messiah is going to do. And if you're Israel in that moment, you do want to celebrate. If that's what Jesus is coming to do, Rome is not fun. They tax you if you're part of Israel and not fairly. They take money from you so they can fund the empire. And you think to yourself, we want these people off of our back. We want them away from us. We want Israel to be restored to its rightful place as God's people. And we want Israel to be where it should be in the political landscape of, listen, the worldly kingdoms of this earth. This is what they want Jesus to do. Except Jesus isn't interested in doing what they want him to do. Because Jesus actually doesn't care much about worldly kingdoms. In fact, I don't think he cares about them at all. Because his kingdom stretches over each and every one of these worldly kingdoms that we live in. Jesus isn't the Messiah that we want, but he's the Messiah that we need. Now, you say, this can't really be. I mean, really all of this from the triumphal entry? Well, if you just go back a few chapters in the book of Matthew to Matthew chapter 16, you'll find it really clear. Jesus actually points out and reveals this exact paradox in Matthew chapter 16. He t- tells his disciples, hey guys, let's go on a trip. It's like a field trip. It's in the school, in, the, in Jesus' school with his disciples, it's a field trip. He takes them to a city, a town called Caesarea Philippi. And we read this in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. They go to Caesarea Philippi and Jesus takes them there. And then he begins a conversation with them. In verse 13, he says, when he gets there to the city, he says, who do the people say that I am? Now, here's what you need to know. Caesarea Philippi, it is a city that is a place of political power and military might. A little bit like us going to Washington, D.C., where when you go there, you can't miss government and military. It's all around you. You just see it when you're there. And we used to live just outside of Washington, D.C., and we would spend days in, in our nation's capital, And there's so many things to see, memorials and buildings that you can tour. And when you go there, you just see political power and military might. You can't miss it. Caesarea Philippi was like that for Jesus and his disciples. So he takes them to this place, almost like a leader strategically choosing a location to announce his or her candidacy. Takes them to this place. And when he gets there, he says, hey guys, who do the people say that I am? And then when you read the story, what you find is the disciples have answers. They've been listening, right? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're one of the prophets. And then as the story continues to unfold, this is what we read. Then he asks them in verse 15, who do you say I am? In verse 16, Peter gives the right answer. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, good job. This is the right answer. You get a star. Three stars, in fact. This is is a great answer. In fact, it's so good. I know you couldn't have figured it out on your own. You're not that smart. (laughs) This must have been revealed to you. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus goes on in this dialogue, and when you jump down to verse 20, look at what it says. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This conversation Jesus is having is to reveal that he is, in fact, the Messiah. He's not hiding it, he, he, he's not hiding it from his disciples, and he's not pretend, pretending to be something else. He really is the Messiah. But as this story continues to unfold, you're going to see how the expectations are getting turned upside down by Jesus. Look at what happens next. Verse 21, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Jesus is telling them, I am the Messiah, and because I'm the Messiah, I gotta go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna suffer. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna be killed there. And this is n- no resemblance to the expectations that Peter and the disciples have. In fact, it's so opposite. Peter, Peter actually takes Jesus the Son of God, aside, to give him some messianic coaching. In fact, when you read this story, what you find out, Peter's not just confused, like, Jesus, that doesn't seem to jive. Peter's actually angry. He's actually angry with Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't know his job. I mean, really, Peter has so many expectations of who the Messiah is and what the Messiah is going to do that when Jesus says, I gotta go to Jerusalem and suffer and die, Peter says, Jesus, you don't know your job. Your job isn't to go there and suffer and die. Your job is to go there and put Rome in its place. Your job is to go there and establish your earthly kingdom and put Israel back where it belongs on the political landscape of our day. And Jesus is giving them a different picture of who the Messiah is and what the Messiah is supposed to do. And we know this is disturbing to Jesus because he pulls Peter aside Peter pulls Jesus aside first in verse 22. He reprimands him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And then look at verse 23. Jesus goes from star pupil to outcast. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. And look at this next phrase. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view not from God's. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, Peter, your expectations of the Messiah, they're human. They're earthly. They're of this world's kingdom. But Peter, that's not why I've come. I've come not not as an earthly ruler to bring political power and military might and establish an earthly kingdom. I've come to do so much more, Peter. Jesus comes as a spiritual leader to establish not, not the kingdom for Israel in this earthly realm, but to establish God's eternal and spiritual kingdom for all of humanity. This is the work of Jesus. And you can see it. Jesus is failing the people in this moment. They've got expectations, and he's way underneath of them. Except they've got expectations, and he's actually exceeding them. It's the paradox of the story. Jesus comes Subverting the expectations of people, he turns everything upside down. This is kind of who Jesus is and how he works. He comes in not on a white stallion, but he comes on a donkey. And he comes not as an earthly leader to set up a worldly kingdom, he comes as a spiritual leader to set up an eternal kingdom. There's one more paradox in this story, and it comes near the end as we are given an ear to hear what the people are saying about Jesus. And in the passage that was read for us, the word was used, praise God, right? Praise God, celebrate the one who's coming in the name of the Lord. This this word, praise God, it's literally the word, Hosanna. Someone was telling me this morning about Uh, their daughter, who when she was little uh, didn't want to wave the palm branches on Palm Sunday. And the reason she didn't want to wave the palm branches is because she didn't want Santa to come. And when the mother asked the daughter, what do you mean? She said, that's what they're singing, Ho Santa. (laughs) It is not Ho Santa. It's Hosanna. And this word literally means... Save us now. People are crying out for this Messiah, this Jesus, this one they think is the victorious king, the one who they think is bringing political power and military might to establish Israel again as what God wants them to be in the political landscape of the day. They are crying out, save us to the Messiah. But when they think about salvation, they are thinking about deliverance from Rome. Save us from Rome. Save us from the empire. Save us from the hand of the oppressor. Jesus doesn't come as a deliverer from Rome. He comes as a deliverer from sin. And so he doesn't come as this kind of physical savior who's gonna kind of take over the world with might and strength. No, Jesus comes as a sacrificial lamb. He comes as a sacrificial lamb. He doesn't come to take up arms and beat down all the enemies. No, he comes to lay his life down. He doesn't come as a roaring lion to put everyone in their place. No, in this instance, he comes as that sacrificial lamb being led silently to the slaughter. He doesn't come with strength and might, at least not in the way the world thinks of it. World, King of kings, Lord of lords, Messiah, Son of the living God, comes not in the strength and power of this world. He comes in weakness. Because he's illustrating for us a core principle of the life of faith. That if you want to experience all of God's power in your life, You don't get it by trying to become powerful. You get it by embracing weakness. The Apostle Paul learned this lesson and wrote it down in a letter to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, he wrote down the words that the Lord had given him. My grace is all you need. For in weakness, my power works best. This is what Jesus is illustrating for us in this story. And this morning, what I want to invite you to do on this Palm Sunday is to embrace your weakness. Paul was a guy who understood embracing weakness. If you read the context around the verse... Verse nine in Second Corinthians chapter 12, what you find is that Paul wrote and talked about what he called his thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what this thorn was because he doesn't go into the details of it. We just know that it could have been a physical limitation. We don't know if it was something with his eyesight, which some people believe it could have been, or if it was some kind of spiritual issue that he was trying to deal with or some kind of temptation that wouldn't go away. We don't know. He doesn't tell us. What we know is that it was received by Paul as a hardship, a difficulty, a challenge in this life. And he didn't want it anymore. So he would pray to God and ask God to take it away. God, take this away from me. In fact, we're told in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul prayed repeatedly for the thorn to be taken away. But God doesn't give Paul what he wants. He gives him what he needs. Because God doesn't take the thorn away. He says, oh, Paul, you're going to keep that thorn. Because what you need to know is that my grace is all you need. You actually don't need the thorn to be taken out. You just need my grace. Because in your weakness, that's when my power works best. And what Paul was learning is that when you embrace weakness, you open the door for God's strength. So here's the the challenge that I want to give to us today, the application Whatever you're facing, embrace your weakness in humility and with complete dependence on God. Because when you do that, the power of God is now given access to work in your life and in that situation. Maybe God takes the situation away, but maybe he doesn't. It doesn't matter. You just, in your weakness, embrace it. And let the power of God do whatever the power of God wants to do. Because in your weakness, that's when the power of God works best. And when, when that happens in your life, when, when you let that occur, whatever happens, if the thorn gets taken out of your flesh or it's left there and you're just held up in the middle of it all, God gets all of the glory. And as hard as it is for us to hear this in North America, that's all that matters. Because it's not about you. And it's never been about you. It's only about God and him getting all of the glory and the honor that he deserves. Some of you are here today and you have what feels to you like a thorn in your flesh might be a physical ailment, something that you wish you could get rid of, but it just doesn't seem to ever go away. Maybe for you, it's a spiritual issue. That temptation, it keeps coming back and you just can't seem to get victory over it. Maybe it's some other hardship or difficulty. I want you to embrace your weakness today is all you need is the grace of God. And some of you are here today and this year, maybe your first time, or maybe you're just checking out this whole faith thing, trying to figure it out. And, and if that's you, there's a temptation that you might have to think that you have to take all the weaknesses and the struggles and the challenges of your life, this life that you have that maybe doesn't seem quote unquote put together enough to embrace faith. And I wanna just tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. You don't need to put your life together before you come to faith. You need faith to put your life together. So don't don't think that you've got the capacity to kind of bind up your life and put it back together and restore it. If you could do that, you wouldn't need a savior. You don't need to put your life back together to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and you let Him put your life together. You embrace your weakness because that's where his strength and power works best. So this morning, we're gonna sing a song, and as we do, I'm gonna invite you to embrace your weakness in humility and with complete dependence on God by coming to this altar and just saying, God, I want your power and your strength to work so that you get all the glory. So Father, right now, as we move into this time of commitment, You're already speaking to people across this room. I'm asking now, God, that you will embolden their faith to step out from where they're at, to make their way to the front of this room and to kneel or stand at this altar as a way of embracing their weakness and humility and complete dependence on you. And God, in that moment, let your power meet them right here so that you can get all the glory for what's accomplished. Pray it in Jesus' name. If you need to come this morning, I wanna invite you to come. I want all of us to stand. We're gonna sing this song together and we're gonna believe God in these next few moments to do the impossible in our lives. Come forward if you'd like to be prayed for.